Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, today we're going to talk about a Human Rights Watch report that was published in March of this year, March 2014, and we're going to focus on Ethiopia. And it's been a long time since we've talked about Ethiopia. And in particular, we're going to focus on the tech sector. So this is a, a, a new subject area for us. Uh, HRW came out with a report entitled, quote, they know everything we do, telecom and internet surveillance in Ethiopia. This is particularly relevant for the China-Africa uh, scholars out there and people who follow this field because uh, it is in fact China uh, and, you know, led by Huawei and ZTE, two of its most uh, prominent, most prolific and largest telecom companies uh, that are installing a massive upgrade to, to uh to Ethiopia's telecom system. So before we get started uh, into the details of the report, uh, Kobus, why don't you kind of set the table for us in terms of what is the human rights situation as it's been detailed by Human Rights Watch report, uh, this Human Rights Watch report, and then uh, we'll get into the details of, of the Chinese side of this. The um, portrait they sketch of Ethiopia is quite sinister and quite uh, scary, I have to say. Um, you know, it, they they essentially sketch a, a country that that's so so such a pervasive kind of surveillance state that it it happens on all levels of of society. So it's not only you know kind of. T- t- telecommunication surveillance which is big there um, but it's also things like being being spied on by the local school teacher or you know kind of from 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 every in every level of society from very rural areas to to the urban areas every every level of society has all of the surveillance and reporting to to the ruling party happening um, and they particularly then focus on on telecommunications and especially the telecommunications that was um, provided Provided by mostly Chinese companies, but not only Chinese companies, um, and the way that um, that those are being used by the ruling party to keep track of not only um, opposition, uh, you know, figures within the country, but even in the Ethiopian diaspora in a bunch of other countries as well. The Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Party, or the EPRDF, has a very long and well-documented history of unlawful. Uh, violations of human rights and civil rights in particular against uh, its opposition, both in Ethiopia and uh, and abroad. Uh, I covered the Ethiopian elections in 2011, I think it was about 2010, 2011. Uh, and a big part of my coverage at Radio France International was the intimidating uh, behavior of the ruling party and the, and the government towards the opposition. So this is not only in a text uh, sphere, but also in a r- real world uh, intimidation. So, so that's something well documented. Let me now switch gears a little bit to focus on the telecom sector. And in many ways, Ethiopia is very distinct from the rest of Africa. Only 2.5% of the population has, has access to the internet, 25% has mobile phones, and compare this to the rest of the continent where 70% of the population has access to mobile phones. And what's interesting about the situation in Ethiopia is that the, the state-owned telecom monopoly uh, controls everything, whereas we've seen extensive deregulation across Africa. I mean, even in, in places like the Congo, uh, which don't have a very strong government, admittedly, but there is uh, Vodafone, Orange, there's any number of operators that are, that are there with a lot of choice. In Ethiopia, you don't have a lot of choice. 
So coming back to the Chinese now, in order to kind of play catch up, where they want to go from a very small percentage of their population who has access to mobile phones and the internet, they want to bring that population up to 56 million uh, by by next year, 2015. And they're going to do that by adding 4G LTE network connectivity on the mobile networks in the city of Addis Ababa, the capital. And then in the countryside, they want to have the whole countryside wired up on 3G. Now, the deployment of the of these networks has been nothing short of a catastrophe, a mess. Kobus, do you remember we talked about this uh, either on our Facebook page or on our show uh, a couple months ago about how ZTE and Huawei have, have just completely botched this? Now, in their defense, they say it's not our fault. It's the fact is that the government isn't actually giving us the direction and the government is actually giving us the, the resources that we need. And nonetheless, it looks like the deployment of 3G and 4G connectivity uh, is slowed. Okay. That said, Cobus, so I've just kind of put that out there. Uh, tell us a little bit about what Human Rights Watch says uh, that the Ethiopian government and the EPRDF is doing when it comes to technology. Well, um, they, the, the report says that, um, that mechanisms in, through which um, telecom companies track users. So, for example, um, you, you know where you would have phone records and, and other kind of metadata are being more extensively misused than in other countries um, to the extent where actual the, the content of text messages and the actual um, audio of, of, of uh, phone calls are being, wide, are being recorded on a widespread level. So what you frequently have a situation where people get arrested for, for anti-government activity and then during the interrogation they would have the, 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 the audio of their own phone calls played back to them. Um, and you know, it's it's a very interesting kind of gray area within the report that um, they actually contacted ZTE, who then acknowledged their their message and then refused to answer about whether whether ZTE has a human rights policy at all, and and whether they know that the, their technology with the technology which, which was um, engineered by ZTE and installed by ZTE is being used in this kind of way. ZTE seems to now be just crouching and refusing to answer questions. Um, um, so it's very difficult to say whether this is something that was installed in, to be used in this way, as in a repressive way, or the, whether it was installed as a standard kind of ma- you know kind of customer management tool and then misused by the the ruling party. I mean, it's this classic kind of African you know kind of African and Chinese uh, you know kind of gray area. Well, I'll take you one step further than that. I don't think it's unique to Africa or China. Um, you know, this is the tactics that the Iranians, Russians, Syrians, uh, the list of countries that are using this type of technology, a lot of it dual-use technology, some with kind of cyber military and, and espionage functionality, but a lot of it is, as you suggested, off the shelf, uh, but that is just being used in very malicious ways. Um, we should point out, though, Kobus, that before we go any further in this discussion, we actually attempted to reach out to Human Rights Watch to join us for this conversation. Uh, you were you made contact, uh, and then the the line went cold. So we would love to have somebody from HRW to actually come on the show to talk to us about this, to talk about the methodology, and especially when we get into the end part of our show about the recommendations, uh, where Kobus and I are going to express a little bit of cynicism and skepticism towards uh, HRW. It would be 
great to to have them on. So just want to put it out there that you did, in fact, try to get them to come on. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the the actual what's happening. So as you suggested, uh, people are being arrested and then their social networks, their conversations, their metadata are being used against them. Uh, I am a disciple of Evgeny Morozov, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with Morozov, who's a yes. scholar. And, and he talks about endlessly how... Um, you know, social networks are really an intelligence agency's dream because it gives people, it gives the, you know, the intelligence agency so much more information than they ever could have dreamed about getting when they were doing traditional type of intelligence collection. Uh, and it looks like from both what HRW and other sources as well that, that Ethiopia is using this. Now, this question of is ZTE responsible, this is a discussion that I got into actually a couple years ago with uh, Rebecca McKinnon, who is the former Beijing bureau chief. She's at the Harvard Berkman Center. She was. She's written a book or two on this subject. And she's also on the board of uh, the Global Network Initiative. And the Global Network Initiative is this kind of global body that sets certain standards uh, for proper behavior of telecom companies, and, 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 and particularly in the realm of human rights. Uh, certainly, Huawei and ZTE are not a part of it. What you're suggesting, though, Cobus, and this is what I'd like to get your feedback on, is this idea that you know Z, that you know people have comment have, have tried to get ZTE to comment on whether or not they are providing these technologies uh, intentionally or unintentionally that are then being used by the Ethiopian government and should they care? My thought is that you know China and ZTE and Huawei are never known for that. They don't have any civil society type of infrastructure in China that could serve as a check on them for that. They have pro- they are probably involved in the domestic security apparatus in China to, to provide the heavy monitoring and the implementation of the Great Firewall. So it's kind of naive in some sense to think that ZTE is going to behave like a Western telecom company with all the morality that goes with that. Yeah, no, completely. I mean, uh, you know, I think you're, you're completely right. They come from a different, a different idea of the relationship between, between the state and and the people, um, and different ideas of like of of the rights of the state in terms of of information, and also, you know, a very paranoid state that's always worried about about you know kind of conspiracies. The problem, the difference is, I think, is that um, you know, kind of China is. You know, is is the kind of communist system which led to relatively widespread literacy, right? Um, so a lot of Chinese write and a lot of Chinese read, um, and they're all online. Um, so you know, kind of, I, I was looking at um, at numbers about Chinese internet usage earlier this week for a lecture I was doing, and it's um, the level of blogging in China is insane. It's, it's something like 75 percent of of internet users in China also blog. That's right. Um, so you have have this incredible like kind of wave of of content and and kind of expression being being kind of produced by normal internet users um and you know kind of so there is there is something you know kind of so on the one hand the government is um is repressive and of, obviously you have all of these you know the, the cases of all of these internet users playing this kind of weird cat and mouse game where certain things be, you know kind of certain search terms become uh, you know blocked and then they they kind of reconfigure them through different kind of very complicated uses of language and so on and um you know literal kind of uh, references to literature and, and so on and so on um what i think the difference is in, in ethiopia and other repressive africa countries is that it's a mix of this Chinese China Chinese government style you know kind of paranoid state and surveillance state but with 
entrenched and perpetuated under like under development you know kind of so it's the you know kind of the 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 low level of internet usage in in Ethiopia is I, I think is no is no accident, um, and it's only now that it's becoming a you know kind of a, a, a crucial to the economy to have more people actually use this stuff that there is this kind of weird mixed. Uh, you know, kind of attempt to try and get more people online, but then also to try and, and, and maintain the monopoly. And I think that there's the big difference. Well, for a for a government like that's in Addis Ababa, uh, China is very reassuring in terms of being an example because the internet uh, in the West is this idea of freedom. It's this idea of more, you know, enhanced political power for grassroots movements. It's all of these ideas of a kind of insurrection. I mean, we thought, you know, so much of the, the Arab Spring was the you know, the Twitter revolution, the Facebook revolution, that was what the narrative in the West was. It was not the narrative in the Middle East or in other parts of the world. Uh, but certainly we look at technology and we go, ah, oh, it's the great liberator. But in so many ways, China is a great example because it has so effectively locked down its internet that countries like Ethiopia could learn from China and say, well, listen, you are able to control your internet. The Iranians now are increasingly controlling their internet. Uh, Russia, for example, is imposing enormous, very, very strict controls on its internet. And we're seeing more and more of these kind of fractured internet. So it's not, it's less and less a global internet. So I can see how uh, the Ethiopian government and the ruling party would take some type of solace from looking at what's happening in China and then saying, okay, we want to bring that to us. Now, let me ask you a question here, and this is the difficult part. When I read through this interview, this, this report, you know, I know that Human Rights Watch does not represent a government. It does not represent a country. It is a, certainly a nonprofit and non-governmental organization. However, it certainly has, in my view, a very Western filter or a theme or a feeling or just there's just a you know just an ooze of western kind of thinking on this so when we get to the recommendations portions i started to feel very very uncomfortable and that's in part because you talked about you know the the chinese technology sales to ethiopia but we should point out that it's not just the chinese who are selling to ethiopia there are french there are italian and german companies that are also selling so this is a european and a global issue one of the largest vendors of technology to the chinese security state is cisco so you know and this is something that again going back to rebecca mckinnon she points out in her book you know the the contradictions and even evgeny morozov as well the hypocrisy that the united states preaches democracy, internet freedom, and so forth, and yet does not block its technology companies from, from repressive behavior overseas. I felt that hypocrisy in these recommendations, and so let me read a couple recommendations and get your feedback on them. So, enact protections for call records and other metadata so that such information may not be collected or accessed by police, security, or intelligence agencies without a court order and oversight to prevent abuse, unauthorized use, or disclosure of that information. You know, in this now, the post-Snowden era, that to me seems like complete BS because without adding in the little asterisk that that's exactly what the GCHQ in the UK is doing and what the NSA in the United States is doing, that doesn't make it right. Two wrongs don't make a right. But you know what? That horse already feels like it left the barn. So when you looked at the recommendations, and we're going to go one by one through their various recommendations, what was your general feeling? And I hope I didn't uh, taint you in your, in your view. No, um, I, I mean, my my general feeling was that um, that 
you know, there's two distinctions to be made. In the first place, the the reporting about the uh, about the report, you know, the, the the way that journalists kind of summarise the report, tended to focus a lot on the role of ZTE, um, and you know, kind of I think rightly so because ZTE has, you know, the, they played a, a big role in um, designing some of these mechanisms that is either that are either being used or misused by the by the government however um, I think if you actually then read the report you also see that that um, the the um, concentration of of party control that happened under um, during the time when orange was was running the, these networks that is made clear in the report as well so I think the the report is not is not kind of shying away from from the you know Fair. kind of the way that Western companies were used, and that I think Cisco also comes up. Um, in the second place, I think one one it's important to make to make not again you know kind of we every time we talk about um, Chinese companies in Africa, we you know kind of we make this big point that people should not you know kind of mix up the idea of the Chinese state or the Chinese government and Chinese companies right and that there are, there are different actors and I think in this case one should probably in the same way not not you know kind of conflate human rights watch with with you know kind of the the government you know right. with governments even though even though they frequently share a kind of rhetoric you know kind of a rights rhetoric that doesn't I, I think human rights watch would be very critical about you know the way the data is being used you know kind of in and the, after in the revel, after the revelations that came from Snowden yeah, I guess you know, so so I think yeah you yeah, know kind no, of no, their, their recommendations should be then be read as criticism of Western governments as well I think I think so but there always feels like a Western cultural bias when looking at these human rights rights reports and and again. I take this a little bit as as a, as, a, as, as a student of China for the past 30 years, where I always felt there was this disconnect between the people writing these reports and the recommendations that they put in these reports and the realities on the ground. And so some of the lofty recommendations that they put forward, again, to the government of Ethiopia to basically have, you know, no oversight, I mean, very little, I mean, uh, you know, ensure that information obtained through email or telephone interception or access to call records is inadmissible in courts unless a court warrant has been obtained. You know, that implies a much stronger legal system than actually exists in places like Ethiopia. And, and I mm -hmm. guess for me now, maybe Human Rights Watch, the objective here is to set a high, you know, high bar for every to be aspirational. Uh, and it's not really about, you know, recommendations that can be implemented in the here and now. That might be what they're trying to do. I don't, it's an ideal that they're that they're trying to achieve because mm. very few of these recommendations are grounded in reality. Uh, very, in my opinion, um, you yeah. know, talking about you know that the that the, the the contractors of this technology should have some type of uh, human rights conscience. You know, again, I I just don't see that in in either corporate America, corporate Europe, or corporate China. They have one conscience, and the only conscience they have is to make money. Period. End of story. Um, I also would have liked to have seen more humility on the part of the report in acknowledging that this is a global issue that every society, even in the West, particularly in the West, we're confronting as well, and that this is not simply unique to, to Ethiopia. That's a context, and that puts a slight edge of humility into it that takes away the perception that it's preachy, and that's what it feels like to me when I read some of these reports. Yeah, no, I, I completely share that with you. I, I think, though, that 
the issue it, it comes down to this very interesting kind of philosophical issue because it comes it really then goes comes down to what is the real value of of Western values, right? The kind of traditional Western values of democracy, individual rights, privacy, all of these all of these kind of things. Like what what are their current value in the world? Because you know, kind of I think even if also I frequently have you know one has this kind of like feeling of when you pick up this this tone of of Western preachiness. One is so you know, kind of if, if you look if you come from a China Africa background, you so the, the first tendency is to shoot something down because of because it comes with this this kind of whiff of neocolonialism or this feeling of like Western superiority. But then on the other hand, one then has to also you know, acknowledge at some moment that that in certain cases these these Western rights, the ones that that, that are now, you know, that that I don't know, choose your your ways like Sweden or Denmark, wherever where these these rights would be like really practiced, you know, like like um, the the kind of platonic ideal of these rights, they do maintain a certain amount of value. And pointing out how all of these all of these governments fall short, including the U.S. government and the the British, you know, the U.K. government, and you know how how they all fall short of their own ideals that they keep spouting. That I think is valuable mm. in a way. You know, kind of I think and in a way because Human Rights Watch they they kind of take over. They're, they're in a way playing the same game as as abolitionist clerics played in the 19th century. You know, in the sense of like by quoting the Bible, you shame people who also quote the Bible. Yeah. You know, um, so in that sense like you know kind of like in using in using these kind of western ideals um in a you know kind of you you implicitly also like shame people like western governments who don't fulfill them i think yeah and and again let me re-emphasize uh hrw does not represent the west i think they would probably find take offense at that um Mm -hmm. they will tell you you know and i've dealt with human rights activists for many many years uh in my role as a journalist uh, that these are not Western ideals, that these are, in fact, international ideals as signed by multiple uh, UN covenants and what and international agreements. Mm-hmm. I tend to think that they have a Western filter on them, and they're not kind of reflective of the current realities on the ground, particularly for over half of the world's population that does not live in a Western-style democracy. Uh, so therefore, you know, again, I would have liked to have seen more customization of the recommendations that were very, very appropriate for the local market in Ethiopia, as opposed to broad platitudes of freedom, democracy, you know, and happiness for all. Um, that mm-hmm. said, the report is very, very worthwhile reading. Uh, once again, they know everything we do, telecom and internet surveillance in Ethiopia. For anybody interested, particularly in the, in the era of, of Edward Snowden now, uh, this is a fascinating area of subject of research to do. Um, again, what we're seeing are trends all over the world in governments trying to assert more control. And, and again, this is not just a governmental thing. This is also a corporate thing. We're seeing in the West, we have far more uh, corporate control of the Internet. Uh, you know, in the United States, we're just about to do a merger of Comcast and Time Warner that will leave most Americans with only one Internet provider who can control absolutely everything. So these are issues being confronted all around the world. Uh, last very important detail that I think we should make before we say goodbye. Uh, we don't want to imply that, that Huawei uh, has a direct connection with the Chinese government only because we don't know. This has been the big mystery. We, people do not know what the, the extent of the links are between Huawei, which is identified as a private company, and its role in terms of doing Chinese government uh, policy. So that's just a little disclaimer that we uh, that we want to put out there. So, Kobus, before we take off, what was the best way if people want to follow what you're thinking, reading, and writing, and doing these days? 
you'll see me on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Um, and also I'm on Twitter at Stadenesque, that's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. Facebook is a great way to to join our conversation. One of the things that I, I, I revealed uh, last week on a post, uh, I, I put our user statistics out there, and it's just absolutely fascinating that, you know, so many people are involved, particularly from North Africa, from South Asia, uh, all around the world. Uh, so if you'd like to join this fat, fantastic conversation, come on over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project. We're also on Twitter. I'm at Eolander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. You can find us on Google+, uh, on LinkedIn. We're all over the place. And uh, of course, if you want to follow this podcast, the best way to do it is on iTunes. Just search in China Africa Project will come up. Uh, if iTunes is not your flavor, SoundCloud is always a good place. And we post the podcast on Facebook and Twitter and Google+, so you can follow it there. So we'll be back again soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.